The inaugural Rockonomics Podcast is sponsored by Brooks Bars, the delicious gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and egg-free nutrient-dense snack bars made from real ingredients. Brooks Bars comes in four mouth-watering flavors, apple pecan, apricot chocolate, cherry espresso, and original flavor. They're an ideal snack to satisfy pre- and post-workout hunger pangs. They fill you up and keep you full, and you can find them at select Whole Foods throughout the South and 140-plus retailers in over a dozen states. Find out where you can buy Brooks Bars, or better yet, have them delivered right to your door. Go to brooksbars.com. That's B-R-U-K-S-B-A-R-S.com to find out more. All right, let's get this thing started. This is Rockonomics Podcast number one. My name is Dill, your host, and joining me behind the board is producer Nick Fry. Our MO here at Rockonomics is to explore the price tags and paychecks of the industry that is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We'll be talking to guests in and around the music and entertainment business about the role money played throughout their entire relationship with their art. I'll get into that a little bit before each show, but let's get on with it. My first guest today is Eric Morgan, the founder and guitarist for the band A Hero of Fake, who were signed to Victory Records and released three albums between 2008 and 2012. I had met Eric about a year ago and learned he was in a signed band, and as you're about to hear, I made a few assumptions about what kind of band he was in that were, uh, they were wrong, uh, but it ended up making his story that much more interesting, seeing how being part of a subgenre makes success and making a living that much harder. So let's, uh, let's hear what he has to say. So welcome, Aaron. Where I wanted to start was we actually met when you interviewed at, at the agency and somewhere along the line, I didn't have your resume or anything, but it came up like your past, your, your past. Yes. And uh, immediately I was like, huh, what? You know, like totally into like, oh my gosh, you know, where, who, when, how? And I remember asking you like, what do you guys like? And I immediately assumed it was like emo. And I remember I was asking, I was like, is it like, you know, uh, Simple Plan or like emo stuff? And I think you said no. And I said, what's, what do you guys like? And you, you might have named a couple bands. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know those bands. But it, it left my head. And then, you know, everything, went, we moved on. So when this started, you know, I started doing my research and I went to uh, the Victory Records website and, and got, got to listen. And you're metalcore. Yeah. Right? Yes. It's so funny. I was so shocked. I was <laughs> like, holy shit. It is probably like the most the the most common reaction to like my appearance <laughs> oh, and then to the music I played. So, heck, totally. Um even like going in to studios and stuff. Like don't look like a metal dude. You're not covered with tattoos. You um pretty like clean cut. This does not look like what you should be doing. Like, totally. It's not and even then, and you, I you. mean, th this is, even back then, it was the same thing. I mean, I was obviously. probably smellier, a little <laughs> dirtier, but um, I still didn't have, you know, that typical metal look. Yes, yes. Um, so let's, uh, let's go back and find out how a young, fresh-faced kid like you becomes <laughs> a, a metalcore, <laughs> a metalcore god. 
Um, um, so you're from? You're, are you from North Carolina? I am. I'm from Charlotte, actually. Okay, which is rare. Very rare. Very yes. rare. Not a lot of people <laughs> are actually from Charlotte. Um, what do your What do your parents do? Like, what's your kind of upbringing? So my dad, he was first an electrician, and then kind of pivoted into doing fire safety. Okay. Um, so he started his own business. He was an entrepreneur. Um, neither of my parents went to a university or anything, but my dad start, you know, he was just had that entrepreneur spirit. So that's what he did. Um, I think that probably lives on a little bit in me. Um, so, but he did play guitar. Okay. Um, so we always had like a guitar around the house, probably as I was hitting my early teens, you know, got interested in it. I started listening to music, forming that identity. Um, and I wanted to, um, play those songs that were like my favorite songs right. so what was pl- what did was your dad would he listen to music too like you know would they turn on would they set the station for the family road trips or did he have music playing around his, around the house um well um i think early on yes um he was um he always had like red hot chili peppers on or like some nirvana <laughs> or something um so i kind of like got into rock like that right. and then when i got my first like compact disc player you know, um, I could just go on a trip and put my headphones on as long as the batteries didn't run out. That's funny. You know, I could just like listen to a CD over and over again. That's funny. Well, I guess, you know, I, I was raised on probably like AM radio and as you progress, you get harder. So if you, if you start with Nirvana, I could, I can see how you get to, <laughs> to metalcore. And maybe. actually, I, I think, um, so like my first experiences were, with music were, I think my first show was something like Creed or something. Uh, my like older brother's girlfriend, um, brother, took me to like a concert and it was uh-huh. like Creed. And then like the next week, I was like 13 years old or something. And the next week we went to, um, it was like Bush. I think it was Center City Fest here in Charlotte. So okay. Like Bush, no doubt. Um, like bands like Static X. Um, um, so I got into rock like that. Um, I think kind of in middle school, I started listening to, um, I got into like the pop punk stuff. So mm-hmm. I was really big into the drive through records band, uh, like newfound glory. Okay. Alistair since it's failed. Like those were like the first bands. Like I was like, I want to like try to play this music. Um, and that's more emo stuff. Yeah. So know? that's more like, I mean, uh, I hate to categorize, yeah. but you know, no, yeah, it's more, you know, like either. Uh, pop punk or indie rock or or emo um so that's how i got into like that kind of alternative music a little bit um and then going into high school um you kind of just like kind of get harder and harder um (laughs) you know i I met uh one of the guys who uh my freshman year in high school i met uh the singer for uh a hero fake and he was into you know he got me into like thrice and AFI and um, bands like um, we started getting to like metal stuff like As I Dying. Okay. Um, and then around Charlotte, uh, I think in Charlotte it was like that music scene was really like that. It was really hot at the time. So probably early two thousands. It was um, bands like Hope's Fall, um, okay. Bludgeon, Glass Casket. Those yeah. bands were like really creating this like scene in Charlotte. That's amazing. Yeah, so. I mean, I, that's I mean, Charlotte to me is such a conservative town, and it's you know it's a banking town. So I wonder if it's a it's a kid rebellion. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, mean, I never would have guessed that there was a, a, a scene here. You know? Yeah, it's you know like 
I kind of hope it's very cyclical because I think um, a few years ago um, it died down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we've had things like Tremont clothes and right. Amos's clothes, um, which are like these crucial like meeting spots and like, yeah. all the local bands like just wanted to play there. Um, is that where is that where you guys kind of? You know, the, yeah, the so in high school, that was like every weekend there was at least a show somewhere, um, you know, at Tremont. Does it, it could have been metal, it could have been punk, it could have been indie, right? But um, it was before like smartphones and like a yeah. lot of social media stuff. So that's what you did. Like you could either go to the mall or you could go like see a show. Right. Um, and so like that's what you did as a kid. Um, too young to like go to bars and do that kind of thing. So um, that's where you went and you and kind of meet other people who are making music. Um, and then you get a couple bands that get big, yeah. um, kind of get more national exposure, like Hope's Fall or BT Bam or um, any number of bands from Charlotte. And like it kind of like builds this like ladder of like, oh, I see that someone from here can yeah. well, do that. A, a scene, you know, like yeah. the Seattle scene or the, you know, Minneapolis scene. So being, you know, this podcast being called Rockonomics, it's, was there anything, you know, of you starting off, like your dad had a guitar. Mm -hmm. So immediately you've got, you've got access to a guitar. At what point do you, who gave you less, you know, how did you get lessons? You know, when did you get, when did, you know, you get your own guitar? Like when does that stuff come into play? So, um, after breaking enough of my dad's guitar strings, um, You know, he's like, you probably should get your own guitar. And was it just an acoustic at the time, or was um, it? A- he had he had an acoustic, um, and he had he had a couple of electrics. It's uh, um, a cool dad. Yeah, yeah, he, he had some <laughs> he had some good instruments to to learn on. So, uh, in middle school and, and kind of going into high school, um, any kind of money I saved up, I like I want to buy my first guitar or whatever. So it was on you, right? Yeah, I wanted to have like my thing, um, and so and. In high school, one of my first jobs was a uh, like recreational athletics ref. So I was like a ref for like five and six year old like basketball leagues, which I mean the parents get really uh, crazy. Like I'm, you would I'm think, one of them. yeah. <laughs> um, and like an umpire and stuff. So like uh, I would save up my money there, and um, I think I bought my first guitar when I was probably fourteen or fifteen, and. You know, customized it, put my own pit guard on it. Like, what, um, what, what was it? It was a um, Japanese Fender Stratocaster. Okay. Um, it had this like a weird. Um, it wasn't a Floyd Rose, but like one of their like weird whammy bars on it that like never stayed in tune. <laughs> um, so like I completely just what a young man learning guitar needs. Yeah. So like if I would just kept that guitar and not done anything to it, it probably would have been worth like twice the value of what I bought it for. Um, those Japanese guitars like get keep getting rarer and rarer. But I like cut it open, put like active humbuckers in it, like changed the pit guard out, lost half the original parts um, and whatnot. So that was like my first step into like buying my own thing. And then from there, it's like any money I made from, from working or, um, you know, birthdays or whatever just mm-hmm. put aside and, and until i could buy like my first rig and like i bought my first half stack it's like the cheapest thing um it's like this like marshall solid stage it just sounded terrible um and then uh and then from there you just kind of like see like the next step of like professional 
equipment. So yeah. I went to like a Crate Blue Voodoo, which is like synonymous with this early 2000s, like metalcore. It's like the entry level, like metalcore amp um, that just hissed really bad. It's funny. Um, so I stepped there and then just like keep going up and eventually like um, you get like nicer and nicer equipment. But yeah, you pretty much have to use like yeah. just save up everything. What about what about learning to play? Did you take lessons, or did school offer them, or did your dad teach you? I in high school I was uh, I played in the jazz band as a trumpeter. Okay. Um, and then uh, my senior year I I um, started playing guitar, and before that I had some guitar lessons, probably a dozen. Okay. Uh, I did not really like it, and I think where I really kind of learned, like after my dad showed me this is a chord, play it. Um, it was. Like, I wanted to play, like, this Blink-182 song, like, I heard. I wanted to yeah. play uh, this, like, uh, some 41 song or, like, whatever. And, uh, like, printed out tabs and, like, listened to it and, like, just kept trying to play it. And that's kind of how I learned to play guitar was just playing my favorite songs. And it makes it easier because you know how it's supposed to go. Right. Where, but it's funny. you. Say, I mean, you printed out tabs. So, I mean, computers, that was probably pre-YouTube. So... It's yeah. not like you can watch a video, but the tab, I mean, tabs are, I think is a big thing unless you, you know, I guess back in my day, you'd have to go to the record store and get the tab <laughs> book, you know, that they sold and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no, um, that was, that was a big thing. Like I had a couple of tab books, um, but then like they never had like the weird songs that like, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to learn how to play. So you would go online and somebody would tab it out and you'd print it out. Um, and I would just have like these mounds of like paper just in my room yeah. of like different tabs. And, you know, I had a, one of my friends like down the street was like wanting to play guitar. So I'd, I'd print out like his version of the tabs for like his guitar and my guitar and like try to organize us to play them together. Um, yeah, it was a mess. It was before YouTube. I think, um, I think now there's so many, like I'll even go on now. Like I want to kind of like learn some like tent technique i never use like right. you can just go on there and there's so many like it's such a great resource um um it would have been a great to have back then oh, yeah I, yeah i agree um so let's let's talk a little bit about uh your your you know further evolution to you know what eventually became um a hero fake okay so i met i mentioned i met our singer my freshman year he became my best friend he was uh like came really close in high school very similar personalities and we um we just uh you know just started hanging out more and more and listening to the same music and then kind of met another friend that was playing guitar at our school we had a pretty small high school so there wasn't a ton of musicians mm -hmm. especially playing like it's kind of rock music so we met another guy who played guitar Lennon hernandez and he uh so me um, Justin, our vocalist, mm -hmm. and Lennon became like this, like core group. So we would like go home after school and like like try to write a song or whatever. And we like, I remember we we didn't have a drummer really at our school, or we didn't know of one. So we were really trying to find somebody that could like play drums, right? And it was the hardest thing. And we eventually like, you know, there's some guy like um, in another neighborhood on like Lake Wiley that. Uh, played drums we went over there and like tried him out and he like didn't do so great but we were like close we, enough yeah we we don't have a drummer so like <laughs> he can play drums like all i ever wanted to do like listening to music was to play guitar with like a drummer and like make a song like yeah. it was like that was my like first goal 
I was like, if I can hit that, like that's all, like that's my dream right there. I just wanted to like play with somebody else. How did you even find? Did you find him through internet or Craigslist or? Uh, like? Man, Craigslist, I forgot. But we used to like post on there for. Uh, I was gonna say, <laughs> I, I, I used, to, used, to, used to be the Village Voice newspaper for. Oh uh, yeah, for us. Um, I, I don't. He went to our high school. He was uh, okay. So he did. He was a couple he was, years younger. Okay. Um, so he was in your you know realm of yeah and okay. so um he had a drum set and he uh could play a beat so like we were like all right we're gonna like start a band so we we like learned a couple covers um started like trying to play our own uh songs as well and we had we had this event at high school which was like this like fall fling type of thing and mm-hmm. we were like we're gonna play this and so like they booked us and we were like crap we gotta like learn some songs <laughs> so we can play them and uh we literally uh like that was our first show with the guy who would be like you know the guitarist in hero fake and the and the singer we like just played in our school parking lot it was actually like really fun like because everyone was out in the parking lot and uh like so they had it was all set up you got they had the back line all you had to do was get there no we had to we had to load yeah so like that morning we like kind of skipped first period of high school and like loaded all our equipment um and brought it over to the school and like set it up and i mean we brought our own pa too and like they let everybody out and as soon as everybody like came out to the parking lot we started playing and it was actually like really fun i'm sure we were absolutely terrible but uh just kind of that was my first like uh opportunity to perform right and that feeling i just i don't know i i love it what was your emotion before going on were you nervous or were you excited uh, very, very nervous. Paralyzing I, nerves. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever not been super nervous before. I played even like, like in the later years, like at the end of tours where you played like your set a thousand times. Something like I, I'm always nervous before playing. Yeah. Part of it is like, what could go wrong? Like <laughs> I have like, I will still have like nightmares where like I'm walking up on stage and. I turn my amp on and like nothing turns on or like after sound check, you go back up and like your guitar doesn't make a noise. And like that, like, and as soon as like the first song comes in and everything works, like it's like, I, it's my favorite thing in, in, in the world. Um, but everything up to that is like always so nervous. And I think, you know, my wife who I met, like, um, going to show that Tremont actually, um, she knows that like when she when she would come to shows like i was just like not a she'd give ha- me the sign <laughs> i was not a happy person to be around like i was just so nervous and like irritable like until we played and after it like i was good so um but yeah that like i kind of got addicted to that that feeling then mm-hmm. um and after that we um kind of went through some member changes started writing like some demos um recorded our first couple like um demo we went to winston-salem um rural point rural hall actually Mm -hmm. um did our first like demo um just sounded like terrible or whatever but we were so happy we like sold it in school like our senior year we're like this is you know like like that was like another one of those like okay i played with like another person so (laughs) like if i can record something that's that i'll just be happy if i can do that so let, let's let's get back to the economics of a you know a, a band in its infancy. Like, how did you guys even like just taking one step back to your gig in the parking lot? How did 
how did you guys amass a PA system and everything to you know put on a, to have a backline for a show? So um, it was sort of just everybody's responsibility to have what some, they some equipment. Their- yeah, and um, Justin, our, our vocalist, um, got a PA. I think we were lucky in the sense that I think um, I don't think anybody was like super wealthy, but like our parents weren't struggling, mm-hmm. so um, we and they yeah. sounded supportive, also, right? Yeah, they were very supportive, probably. Um, definitely wouldn't have had the opportunities without their support, for mm-hmm. sure. So um, it really helped out not having, you know, like all the money that we saved from working our summer jobs or whatever we could just throw back into, mm-hmm. um, like, doing the band instead of having to buy clothes or or spend on other stuff um, right. that maybe, um, you know, wouldn't have been the case if, you know, we were less fortunate or something. So that right. that's definitely a, a big part of it early on is to have a little bit of freedom to um, kind of spend that money to get, at least get started. Yeah. What about the demo? Who's leading the charge for you guys? Who's making the phone calls? Are you negotiating something? Is it a favor? Is it a, you know? So literally probably just like search, like back then it was probably pages. like dog pile or something. <laughs> but um, we, uh, we just searched for like uh, a studio and we found one in like Grow Hall, and it was, it was probably like five hundred dollars. It's a very cheap for a recording. Um, everybody saved up. Um, we had five people, so everybody mm-hmm. saved up a hundred bucks. Yep. Went up there, recorded it, and that was it. And I think probably for most of the band's existence, it's been very kind of equitarian like that. It's yep. like we split every every cost is split. All the money that comes in is split. And it helps when it's five people. When you have to split costs, it hurts when you have to split like money that you want to like receive. You don't want, yeah, you don't want to go solo. Like five five ways is um, five ways is a lot to split any money coming in. So yeah. like it definitely <laughs> helps and hurts at the same time. Um, it's nice going out. Yeah, yeah, hurts um, coming in. So that yeah, that was like our first uh, linen. Our guitarist, his mother worked at a like hotel, and so he, like they set us up like. She was able to get like a free room up there, so that like oh, nice. helped out a lot. Um, so like, you know, definitely that kind of network of like somebody's mom works there, so we can get like a room or get food from someplace that's, always yeah. like helps. Yeah, that's how you get mentioned on the liner notes. <laughs> yeah. So was it a a, a a CD single for lack of a better? I mean, is it two songs, or it, four songs? It was six songs on um, CD back on, at the on, time. On CD, is this like two thousand two or? No, no, a little later than that. Um, 2004. Okay. So it was on CD. Um, we just burned it ourselves, um, printed out, like, bought that printer paper that you, like, yep. print out a Slap CD on, on and, like, um, had some, like, weird, like, cover art with, like, a tree on it and, like, <laughs> threw it on, and that was it. Was it Metalcore at the time? It I mean, was, for lack of a better description? Uh, probably not. I think at the time, I was still, like, really heavy into bands like thrice and since it's fell and static lullaby so it was not as metal i mm-hmm. think it was like more kind of like emo punk right like not really hardcore other than like obviously screaming or whatever so uh yeah it wasn't a, it wasn't as um like what you think of as metalcore and then um our next demo um, that we did after that was like it went more into that direction and started like actually sounding like what we would become. Okay, and the next demo, same type of thing, same place, same no, cost, different, <laughs> different place. So there was a um, 
there was a guy in the local scene who started his own record label, um, small record label, but they had some like bands that had some success. Secret Lives of the Freemasons, which was a band from Asheville that they recorded one of their first um, EPs with this guy, and then they actually got signed to Victory Records as well. Okay. So we went, uh, our summer of our senior year, we went and recorded six songs there. Um, started sounding more like what we were going to sound like. Still like kind of like demo-ish quality, but it was good enough to like put on MySpace and get a little bit of attention and to put out there. The same thing, I think it probably cost us like $700 and we just yeah. split the cost and um, printed out demos and sold them at shows. Yeah. Um, so so you, you mentioned MySpace. I, my, my band was going back around that time too. And I mean, did MySpace, and I, I don't want to mean to get ahead, but did that, did that have any influence on your signing? Oh, it, it, it most definitely did. So when we were um, starting out as a band, like late in high school, 2004, 2005, uh, MySpace was really blowing up. Um, you know, it became like the epicenter of like where you find music and where you find people who like the music you like. So that was like the first thing we did, create a MySpace page. It was so important to like get your best songs up oh, yeah. there. You got like five songs at the time, I think. Yeah, I you think get... you could have like five songs and you could have like eight pictures and like <laughs> that was it. Um, so It was great, folks, if you don't remember. <laughs> it was great. And, and so talking about MySpace, so... Um, um, and which one of you guys would be the who's your who's your IT guy for the band? Um, I think it became me, but early on it was kind of everybody. Mm. I think um, I wasn't not I was not the first one to like master MySpace, so like other people <laughs> were doing that. Um, but yeah, obviously, like even thinking about how you like posted what concerts were happening, it was like a MySpace bulletin, which seems so weird that that's how you saw what show was happening at Tremont like next weekend. Like right. you had to check this like bulletin list on the side of MySpace, <laughs> but like that got so much traction. If you didn't post it there, like nobody was coming to your show. Yeah. Um, and I think the good thing about the scene back then was if you, if you had a show at a venue, people were going to go because that's what they did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, we recorded that second demo, got a little bit more traction and then kind of, uh, a, this change happened. So me, me and Justin, our, our singer, mm -hmm. went to um, went to school. Went to school. So we went to Chapel Hill. At this time, um, where were you studying? I, I'm undeclared. <laughs> well, yeah. At first, I didn't really know. I think I wanted to go into the business school. Uh, just, it was like highly rated. Like my dad was entrepreneur. Like I kind of identified with like doing that. So. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I eventually, I did get my degree uh, in business administration and I got a minor in physics for some <laughs> weird reason. <laughs> so uh, we went to school um, after that second demo um, and we kind of like, there was a core group of me, Justin, Lennon, who like stuck together. And then we would honestly, every weekend, try, like we would drive from Chapel Hill to Charlotte to practice or to play a show pretty much four years straight. Right. Like, I I didn't drink in college. I didn't do anything on the weekends. I probably spent, I probably count on my hand how many weekends I spent at school while I was going there. Right. Any regrets in hindsight? I don't think so. I mean, I think I can like catch up to all the yeah. mispartying. I was, I was like, going <laughs> to say, yeah, it's, you know, I, 
I remember having a girlfriend the first semester, so it's always going home to see the girlfriend. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell was I thinking? But what what did I really miss? You know, <laughs> not much. I mean, it, it was definitely it's definitely hard. It was a lot of time on the road. Um, but I think we both, um, Justin and I, just we really like had this like kind of vision of what we yeah. wanted to do, and we just wanted to keep getting better at it. And um, you know, half our band was in Charlotte, and we had a place of practice there, so came down and um you know every weekend it probably saved us a lot of money not right were you, were you gigging too on weekends yeah so we would play um we were playing charlie we were playing raleigh at the brewery which is now also closed <laughs> like probably every venue i'm gonna mention on this podcast <laughs> so yeah we were play around you know greensboro um thomasville all, all these like belmont gastonia all these places that had venues right um but it's a weekend thing it's like wh- whether you're rehearsing you're either rehearsing or you're playing out yeah or so, both yeah so like friday class got out got in the car drove rehearsed or wrote or played a show right and then drove back sunday night are um, you making any money at the shows at this point or just enough to like cover gas no and, we and, would um most of the time it was um it would do a, just like all local shows, so there was very little money anyway. Mm-hmm. We got like fifty dollars or something. Just part of the door for um, drinks. Yeah, or if we opened up for somebody, we would get like maybe if we were lucky a hundred dollars, right. but most of the time no. Yeah. So we weren't weren't making money. Um, we both worked. We had like those crappy college jobs, so we were like oh, working Ca- at cafeteria? like cafeteria. Did you work in the cafeteria? No, I w- <laughs> uh, I worked at like GameStop and like Banana Republic <laughs> and like the proactive stand, which was probably like the best job I had in college. What was that? The proactive like oh. acne medicine. Yep, yep, yep. So they had like a stand in the mall. It was actually really nice. You just kind of set did homework the whole time. So did you end up getting si- you end up getting signed while you're at school, right, or in college? Yes. Yeah, so. Kind of going into our junior year, um, we kind of we got our base lineup of what would be like the band when we got signed. Um, we uh, needed a bassist, and he was friends with my cousin, who was also a guitarist. And so, like, they both joined at the same time. That's how we ended up with three guitarists um, <laughs> for like most of our uh, uh, our band life and. So, uh, and then we found a drummer who lived, who was going to like UNC Charlotte. So he was there in Charlotte. Yeah. So we had six members at one point. That's a lot of people. <laughs> Again, that's, you know, when you're paying for stuff, it's great. When you're earning, yeah. <laughs> not so great. <laughs> um, well, we weren't earning anything at the time, so we didn't even <laughs> think about it. We kind of got this group together. We were writing songs and then going into uh, probably like 2007, we had, we had done another EP with a, a guy locally and it kind of like, at the time we were deciding between... There's a producer in Winston-Salem, Jamie King, who Mm -hmm. was... um, Who ended up producing your your, your full-up stuff. Yeah, actually, we recorded all three of our Victory records there. So we contacted him, and he was, you know, obviously more expensive. He had been doing, like, real records. He was, like, where everybody who was anybody in North Carolina was going to record a record. And it was, like, it was probably... He would probably charge us, like... $3,000 $3,000 or something. That was, and that was cut a full length though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. like, it was, it was, um, a great deal. Like looking back at it. Sure. Um, and but then, at the, at the time is the deal. Are you, it's three, $3,000. You got five day, like, yeah, my bank account probably like fluctuated between like 80 and $200 at the time. So <laughs> like I didn't have, like, it was a lot of money. Yeah. And there was a guy in Charlotte who I think he was like a, he was a founding member of, Hope's fall or something like that, 
and he was one in Charlotte and two uh, he charged us probably like a thousand dollars fifteen hundred dollars so we decided to go with him it was cheaper turned out kind of bad mm. uh, like we were, we're not very happy with it and um, I, I actually I take that back it was, it was EP it was like four songs okay um, so were you not happy with it from the onset I mean from the maybe not from the get-go the experience but just when you got it handed a finished product it was a weird you're record. always excited but it was you're a like, weird recording eh. experience the producer kind of like it's taken over uh, no kind of like the opposite like we would Disengaged. get there at like 5 a.m in the morning and like he would be like in a sleeping bag on the ground like <laughs> tapping his computer like he would like be asleep for like a lot of our recording <laughs> which was really weird and we just didn't know any better so like right. we got it we were like this sounds like worse than like the record we, like the other demo we did so so i think that was like the first time we realized like you, you kind of have to like spend like you get what you pay for. you get what you pay for like we should have done we should have went with you know jamie king uh, even though it was more expensive like we wasted i mean one is the money like it was twice as much but yeah. we wasted so much time and energy um doing that that you know it was such a like a sunk cost at the time that yeah. you couldn't go back out and do it so but did that ep i mean given the timing of it did that ep end up being something that did eventually help you get the deal i think local uh Short answer, no. <laughs> right. um, it did help in that I think the songs on that EP like were like another step into like what we would become. Like they were very weird, and I think in Charlotte, like weird was really cool at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was based on bands like Hope's Fall and Between the Buried and Me, um, who were very eclectic metal and hardcore bands. Mm -hmm. um, so like that's where Charlotte's like kind of taste was. And um, locally, that helped us out. It got us on. It got us like shows and stuff. Being able to like stand out a little bit, and then we had the you know I think the following year going into I think it was the summer before our senior year in college. We had a we were okay. We have enough songs for a full length. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna like? And we were, okay. We learned our lesson. We're not gonna cheap out this time. So right. let's go. Let's figure out how to raise the money, and then go to. Uh, you know this real producer and get a real record done um and do everything right right and so like it was very hard um to, to <laughs> sell girl scout cookies or uh, how'd you so it's very interesting so we had a we had a friend of one of our guitarists my cousin whose dad like loved the band um <laughs> and at this point you're pretty much what you became uh we we're getting there okay. yeah so we, i mean we were playing but his dad is still liking aggressive Metal. I don't know if his dad like liked our style of music. I think, or did he like the idea of it? Um, I think he liked that his like son liked it. I guess. Yeah. And like we would like come hang out with them, and like I don't know. I think I think he just like wanted to be a part of something or whatever. Sure. So we like we raised um, part of the money ourselves. We just pulled uh, the money. It was a full length, so it was like probably like six or seven thousand mm dollars. -hmm. I don't remember, but. Um, we raised like a part of it ourselves and then he gave us a loan for the other amount. Mm -hmm. Um, and he kind of became like, was it six, I'm sorry, six, six or 7,000 total. Yeah, total. And did that get you a set amount of time in the studio? Yeah, it get, it got us, um, I think the negotiation, I don't know if we had a set amount of time. It was like, uh, 10 songs or 11 songs. Okay. Um, and just whatever, I, I think whatever it took to get, those. I think all the LPs at the time were that you had to be like 11 songs. It was like 11 songs, we'll get it done for this amount of money. So um, he became kind of like a little bit like our 
our manager and just kind of helped us out with like how to go about a lot of the financial things. Like we set up, as like at this time we started thinking about setting up a, um, a LLP mm-hmm. um, to put money in an account so it couldn't be like taxed and to like be really smart with it. Nice. Um, and so like he had a lot of great like, you know, like he gave us a lot of that great advice that we had no I- idea about. You know, so we went and we recorded that LP. Spent probably like 15 days in the studio. Came back, made at the time we had to make these physical. Uh, press kits you like you couldn't right. send like a link or anything or sound no, no, no pdfs no so you would make a physical press kit you burn cds and and i think something that probably helped us out a lot was we we got these stencils and like every like it was like one of those manila envelopes yep. that we put our cds in and we like customized each one for each we targeted like 15 different labels and and those were i assume just picked off your favorite yeah we like okay what labels would we like dream to be on so yeah. like victory Solid State, Rise, Metal Blade, like all these, all these like uh, great record labels. We we uh, drew on them, painted on them, like stenciled, like tried to customize each one and like send them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got like a couple small things back here and there. Um, it didn't seem like we were getting a lot. There was, you know, we we thought like we had a good chance of getting on. Uh, there's a record label out of Raleigh, like Tragic Hero. We were like they were mm-hmm. like the regional like hub for like that kind of music. And we're like, I think if we get on them, like that would like get us to the next step. Um, But we didn't get a lot of traction there. Were you filing up? Were you calling them? And like, did you get our package? You know, any Um, feedback? I would email. Okay. um, But email was probably even harder to get like a response back. Right. Um, So we sent those out. um, And actually like, as we were doing that, we were trying to do everything like how, like, just be as prepared as possible to get signed. So we went and got we went and got professional promos done, like good pictures, which probably cost like five hundred dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Um, got photos done, got like a MySpace layout done. Nice. So like professionally, or just redid it yourself? No, no, we like oh, hired the, sa- the same guy who ended up taking our like first promo pic- uh, okay. photos. He he did that as well. He actually ended up doing like uh, a lot of our album art and and um, promos like later too. Um, he's actually, I think he's like part of Black Label Society now or something. Justin Reich out of like Winston-Salem. So okay. he, um, um, like he, he's, he's a great like photographer, video producer, um, everything. But, um, he took our first shot. So we had like real pictures. We had like a real CD. It was 11 tracks long, professionally recorded. Um, we wrote like our bio, um, we had our MySpace looking great. <laughs> I forget at MySpace too. Did they have followers or like you could, could you could tell how popular you were on MySpace? I don't remember. I think it was called Friends. Yeah. So like, um, like I think very early on we understood that like labels were looking at how popular you were on MySpace. So like you tried to like friend as many people as you could, right. or like put out as many bulletins and put your link to your songs everywhere, so it'd get as many hits as you possibly could. Um, some things never change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, like the first thing people looked at was like that play count. So you like really like wanted people to listen to it. Like we would in college, we would like Just click on and off and <laughs> we, we would like, we would go to like the computer lab and like print out like little pieces of paper with our like MySpace URL on it and like stick it to every computer 
and like people would just like, what is this? Like go on it yeah. and at least get like a play or two in. <laughs> and we would just do it to like every computer we could find and like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we did that. And then um, I think like probably two months after we sent those press kits out, uh, it was at the end of summer. I was um, working my summer job. I was working for my father's company, like putting in uh, like uh fire systems at like an elementary school so i was like running conduit and like doing manual labor um and i got a call from uh tony brummel who was the uh, owner of victory records and uh, what's that like to have like him say, it, hey this is tony brummel very, victory very records and I, I think he knew it when he called me like <laughs> like you're not gonna expect this <laughs> so like yeah we were just getting like a little traction from some smaller labels and nothing like big and then all of a sudden like out of the blue um like the label that at the time like mid 2000s it was like the big like the biggest label you could be on and like those genres i mean taking back sunday betray you um silverstein like like all of those bands right. were on that label that you wanted to be a part of and so like that was like one of the like craziest probably moments of like my music career was like getting that call and at the time like we were going into our senior year and so he was like tell me about the band and I was like oh well we recorded this this album um we all go to college which um <laughs> we got to finish which is like a little weird um and I, and he was like so are you are you gonna tour like what are you what are you gonna do and I was like well honestly like we're probably not gonna tour like right now we're gonna like we made it almost all the way through college we're gonna finish it and like he was silent for like a little bit after that now like i knew like that's not gonna be one he wants to hear it's not rock star yeah like that's that's not rock that's not punk that's not what he wants to hear and um he came back and goes okay i think i can make it work and um and so the idea was um so like that night like i, I sent a text out right after that he, he was like i'll send you a I'll send you like a contract tonight. Oh my God. And I was like, Jesus, like this is like the craziest thing ever. <laughs> like, like I don't, like I can still like graduate. And like the biggest label that like I knew of at the time was like, it was send me a contract and I like just sent a text out like big news. Let's meet later. Oh my God. And like, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. Like it was like, <laughs> it, that's like one of those texts you like always want to send. Like I have like the coolest news <laughs> that like I'm going to tell you. So I sent that out and um, we met later. I was like, we got an offer um, from Victory, and like, you know, it took like some time for people to be like, are you like serious? Like, yeah. are you like fucking around? Um, the funny thing is that the I not to interrupt the iPhone's ten years old. So that was before iPhones, right? Uh, so were you texting like a you know a Nokia, one of those candy bar phones? Or? I, I was on a razor at the time. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> That's I mean, hysterical. they were they were really great. They were good, yeah. They, I remember when they came out. It was like yeah. So you tell your bandmates. It's it's a real thing. What's what's the contract look like? What's uh what's it spell out? So, um, we get the contract. Um, is it big? I mean, I'm not big. It's like here's. Is it like thick? I'm just like I, it's I think probably I, like thirty pages long. Okay. Um, and a lot of legalese. Yeah, like, obviously, like the first recording contract we've ever seen in our lives. So we have no idea. We're just like like our mindset is like obviously we're just gonna <laughs> sign whatever they give us. Um, but and, did you stop and get, I mean give it to a parent or give it to a friend? whose dad's a lawyer or so i had an uncle who was a lawyer okay um and i gave it to him to review 
And he was like, this looks kind of bad. <laughs> You're like, let's sign. And he was like, and I did some research. And like at the time, like a couple of bands just started to come out and were uh, like brought up lawsuits right. against Victory. So I think at first it was like uh, a Ting Wreck Sunday maybe or Hawthorne Heights or somebody. He was like, yeah, there's some like, lawsuits going on. It doesn't look great. And La- like at La- that point. Last thing you want to hear. At that point, like nothing was going to like make yeah. us not sign it. And so like. <laughs> Um, it, it, in the contract, actually, there's like money set aside to like to have a lawyer like look over the contract. I think it was like a thousand dollars or something. And so it got us like what like five hours with a lawyer. And so the lawyer looked at it. Um, he he had done victory record contracts before. He's like, yeah, you're probably not gonna be able to negotiate anything. Like we tw- tried and we got like half a percentage bump on like royalties that we never saw. Like right. no one ever sees. So it's um, funny. It, 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 in the world of music, is that thousand bucks that's set aside for the lawyer? Is that still eventually come out of your pocket? It's a recoupable cost, so um, it goes against your royalties that they would pay if you ever like made up okay. the amount of money to get paid royalties. So, um, yeah, so obviously, like it w- it, that money wouldn't come to us ever. Yeah. So, like the only thing we could do was like get a lawyer to look over it, get like the smallest like negotiation like bump yeah um and uh signed it happily signed yeah um so yeah and so what was it for th- three records or what, what's the like base? it was it was three three records with two options and so what does that mean so the options were if you got to your third record and you had sold x amount of records um they could um they could exercise that fourth option and say I think for us it was like if you got up to like a hundred thousand records by that uh, by the end of the third record term, they could exercise the fourth option and then some another bump and then the fifth. So and those first three were like guaranteed, like you couldn't go anywhere else um, unless you fulfilled those three albums. Right. So and at the time, which which was a little weird, was that we were doing that shift from like physical sales to digital. So obviously MySpace was a thing, but like. Uh, iTunes was like kicking in mm-hmm. and like physical sales were plummeting. Right. Sales in general were just plummeting. Right. So our contract was like set up like the old way where like yeah. it had a lot of the old record like volume stuff in it, like a hundred thousand, like no one like no one's gonna sell a hundred thousand um records. Right. Um unless you're like that you're like just one of the luckiest ones right. to like blow up. So like I mean that's interesting because your timing really couldn't be worse. Because the record companies seem to be the last one to get with the program. Yeah, I actually, like, Victory Records didn't sell on iTunes until really late wow. on. Like, I, th- I think until, like, 2005, maybe. Right. Um, um, so a lot of them were against it because they saw that this was, like, affecting, like, their bottom line. Sure. Um, and so, like, our our contract was structured around all these, like, volumes of, like, physical sales that, like, they were used to selling. Um, and also, like, the amount of money that specified in the contract Every record they spend so much money on advertising, publicity, right. on your music video. They um they were like higher than they want ever spent. And to like like our video budget was probably like a thousand dollars for our first video, <laughs> like from the label when like in the contract it says like uh like over like seven or eight thousand or something like that. And like we couldn't do anything to get that money. We could just ask and we took what they got and made a rec- uh made a music video. Right. Um and there was really no way to validate that they were, you know, spending so much on whatever advertising or anything. We just kind of like 
$40,000 on advertising every record, but right. well, we don't know if they're spending that. Well, I, I remember when we met and I, I asked, I said, did you, did, you write the, did you write songs so you got publishing? And I, you said yes. And my first impression was like, oh, you must, you know, that's a, that's a nice deal. And you immediately said, it's, it's a game where whenever you, you're, whenever you start to sell records, they say they turn up the promotion and you need to pay for the, that promotion with, you know, it goes against royalties, I guess. Something to that effect. Yeah, so all, all, the, all the money set aside for marketing and videos and um, publicity and, every, and even like your publishing advance for the record um, and your recording advance and everything um, was recoupable. So if they spent, if in the contract it says they were going to spend 100000 and like everything combined, that meant you had to sell a hundred thousand dollars in albums to get it to start break even, even. yeah start even to uh, break even. Yeah. Um, but usually, I think what usually happens is they, those numbers are inflated, so they can like spend less than that. And then if you start growing, they'll start spending more, and like don't think you really ever catch up to that amount, not in a significant way. Right. I mean, the first world check I got was for two dollars and ninety six cents. Um, what was like it? Two dollars. Two dollars ninety six cents after our. <laughs> Second album, um, and, and there's um, there's a mechanical royalty, which is supposed to be, um, you're supposed to get that no matter what. It's like doesn't involve like recoupable cost or anything, but you have to sign up with like an outside agency to like recoup that cost. And even then, I think over the life, I probably got like a hundred bucks right in, in royalties. So, <laughs> um, it does and I assume like nobody gives you like Victory Records doesn't take take it upon them to say sit down boys here's how it's going to work i mean did they no or is it um, up to you to you know kind of either educate yourself or your your lawyer does or your manager does it's really up to the band to to make themselves even after you get signed i think that was something probably most bands learn when they get signed is like it's not the end it's like the very very beginning of like what you need to do to build a career out of it um you get signed but the mut- like the resources aren't there for them to like kind of walk every band through a career, like they have to see what's gonna hit, what's gonna stick, um, and I think w- when they see a band start to blow up on their own, then they put resources behind them. Mm-hmm. But it's not like we're gonna make you like w- we can make you blow up and like do that for every single band. So like even after we got signed, it wasn't like here's a booking agent, here's a manager. It was like all right, you got the- you like go. F- figure out how to get on tour yeah go do, like, uh, keep doing what you were doing uh, yeah okay i'll like try to reach out the booking agents or something like that um and so yeah it is it is still like a, a uphill battle um even after you get signed so the so did you end up recording um volatile with them or was that the album you recorded before you got signed and then did they just distribute it so that was the album we recorded um before we got signed um and like that was the idea. Like we want to have everything ready so they can sign us and release it. Right. Um, so they, is that what happened? Yeah. So they <laughs> they took the album, put a, a CD layout together, um, and released it. They they did pay us for that album, like a uh, advance, they like a recording advance that you would get normally if you were like going to record. And then that money went back to paying paying back like uh, our friend's dad who had like helped us mm-hmm. do the record and help us buy a van. Um, and get like kind of ready to go tour, so um, so yeah, so that that album came out uh, fall when I was in, 
yeah, fall of when we were in our senior year. So like 2008. Okay. Fall of 2008 came out. So you still had the whole, you still had two semesters. To, yeah. So I was still at school. And, yeah. It's like, uh, with like an album coming out and trying to like figure out what to do, <laughs> trying to like line up like, okay, well, we got to go tour after this um, and everything. So like literally like graduation came and we like, we hopped it. We bought like a $500. We thought this was going to be so cool. We bought a $500 like 1970s RV. <laughs> um and like it had like snakes and spiders and everything in it, and that's metalcore. Yeah, yeah. So it was like sitting, sitting in like my cousin's like backyard, just like in the woods. And like we like we took it, like ripped all the carpet out, cleaned it up, uh, built like a bunk bed in it. Um, we uh, got a trailer. Like we were like, this is like our rig. It's like looks so cool. Like we're gonna love it. And it was like the worst vehicle ever. <laughs> it it went like a hundred miles before like something broke on it. It was like slinging belts all the time. It was uh, the like, hitch started to bend like it couldn't handle the weight of a trailer. Right. Um. We were going up. Um. I think we were in like Kentucky, like going up the mountains, trying to get like out into the Midwest, and it like could like it could not make it up some hills. Like it would just like not go any further. Um. And the gas mileage was probably like four miles a gallon. So like it was a terrible idea <laughs> to do. So we came home from uh, our first couple tours uh, that summer and we we're like, we got to get rid of this van. And so uh, we, we, we sold that and then bought like a real like passenger van or whatever that right. like most tour vans have. And that was a lot better decision. <laughs> now, were you self-funded for the most part on these tours or did you get a you know, minimum per diem from the breakfast. So most or? of the tours, especially early on, you're getting like $100, $200 a night. Um, Are you earning that off of ticket sales or? So or is, you, usually, um, so the first like couple tours I booked myself, um, we didn't have an agent. I was like, we're this new band from Video Records that has an album. Uh, why don't you book us at your venue? Yeah. Um, and that's how I got into like kind of booking like the business side of the music industry. But the kind of guarantee at the time was like if you're an unknown band with no like you haven't really done touring before you get like a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks if you're lucky a night so you negotiate that with uh, the venue talent buyer or the promoter whoever um, is booking at that venue and um, so it's supposed to be a guarantee of that money right um, probably like you get that seventy five percent of the time sometimes the promoter leaves and you never see him again oh boy. Um, or like something happens. Uh, yeah, so um, that was pretty much like our gas money. Um, we did a lot of things to save money while we were on the road. Um, you know, we probably saved up, uh, we would save up money, like obviously from working to kind of like feed ourselves while we were out there. Right. Um, usually we would get like a little Caesar's pizza uh, right. at most venues. Um, it was like five bucks. M- most of like the contracts for, um, <laughs> for a show would would say like all right you know it's like a hundred dollar or 150 dollar performance guarantee plus like 50 dollars of like catering or whatever for, to eat and like they would just buy like three little caesar's pizzas for like 15 dollars and be like that's catering <laughs> um <laughs> were you of drinking age yet were you 21 I'm trying to think most i people was 21, 21 but i did not i didn't drink until i was um maybe 22 or 23 mm-hmm. um probably helped a little bit with money too yeah, but uh, sure. um, so uh, yeah, on those first three tours, I wasn't drink like I didn't drink. Um, I think a couple of the bands did. But another way we saved money was we would we would sleep in the van. Obviously, we weren't getting hotel rooms or anything. Mm-hmm. Sleep in the van. We we 
kind of figured out early on that if you slept in a hotel parking lot, you could walk in in the morning and it seemed like you stayed there. And so you could like eat breakfast. So we would go in there, like eat breakfast, get on computers, like do what we needed to do. Right. Um, like try to fill up until Continental Breakfast closed. <laughs> and, uh, and then like leave. And usually we could get to like the venue without having to like eat another meal. Um, but like that was like one of the things early on, like, okay, we can save money this way, but like grab a bunch of those apples and bananas they have like out there and like throw them in our backpack. That's hysterical. Were you going out at like, uh, you know, a month at a time or, you know, were you trying 20 dates, 40 dates? I typically it was a couple weeks, uh, like probably like two to four weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. I think our longest out was maybe a month and a half where we had like tours back to back. Um, and so like that's def- it's definitely like really tough. Um, the, like those long tours where you come back and you literally like have no money. You don't like, like it is, it's like, that's kind of like depressing a little bit. Right. right. Like I've worked so hard. Like I'm out there on the road every night. Like, um, and like, I don't have really have any, I can't pay rent. I can't like, get my own place. I can't, I can't do anything like that. Did it take long to get, I mean, jaded is a harsh word, but I can understand like your first tour was probably even if it was the worst thing on earth, it was probably the best thing. Yeah, ever. yeah. You know, maybe the second tour, the cracks start to show, you know, and then whatever, third, fourth, fifth time on the road, you're like, when you're seeing diminished returns, you know, do you start, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, it starts to, I think reality started to set in, like, after the first couple of tours, you realize, like, okay, so, like, you know, the idea in the music industry is, like, the artists make money on the road. Well, like you have to be a really, really big artist to like right. make those like guarantees that that like actually make um like uh like decent amount of money. Right. So I mean, you're and and you know to go back to your genre too doesn't seem to be, you know, a, it's a it's a a niche market. Yes. You know, so there it seems like it's it's going to be limited from the get go. That's definitely true. Like I think even like in metalcore, like probably. Out of the you know, half a percent of bands that like make it to a decent label, point one percent of those like ended up like making enough money to like uh, you know live uh, a life out of it. Like um, I can probably think of like a handful of bands that like actually have a career in that music. Um, it's just very very hard, um, especially like you go back home and you see your friends like from college like just got like. A promotion at like Wells Fargo, and they are like, "Oh, I think I'm gonna buy a house." And like, you're like man, I like came and like afford to rent. Yet. Yeah, what am I gonna do? Well, you're, you're supposed to be the rock star who comes home off a tour and then you know goes to buy a Corvette or whatever. <laughs> and it, it's it's funny because like you come home and you talk to your friends who are like working this job. It's like, man, I, I I wish like I could. I wish I I was going out there doing what you're doing. And like you're thinking like I wish I like could like have a <laughs> A place to live like you do, um, like on my own, but uh, it's like always kind of greener on the other side. So, um, yeah, and so like that kind of wears on you. You see other people like progressing in careers, and you're like, I'm like, I'm making any money at all. Um, you know, like what's going on? And that wears kind of wears down after a while. Um, did anything, I mean, I, I think we got to, we don't, we don't need to wrap up. We're just, we're starting to run long, but let's, uh, Let's uh, move to your your post career. Was there any? But before we go to that, was there anything you guys did end up releasing another album, um, the future again? Mm-hmm. Is there anything profound in any? You know, 
I don't want to skip, like I said, I don't want to skip over anything. I guess what, what, what eventually led to, you know, the demise of the band? So we um, took a hiatus. After, we, we toured on Letters Since Live for a little bit, had a couple of member changes, um, and then took a little bit of hiatus. We were just a little bit tired of touring. It was like making us grumpy towards each other um, and kind of just needed to reset. Um, so we did that for a little for a little bit. I think we didn't play a show for maybe like six months or, or so. And then kind of got back together and we were like, okay, what like what do we want to do? Like we kind of like hit all these marks that like when I was a kid, like all I wanted was to release a, 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 a like play music with somebody and then release right. a record and do all this stuff. And we kept hitting it and like like what's our other goal? Like what do we want to do? Um, and we're like, well, you know, we haven't released a record in like three years or it was like two years at the time. Um, let's like do something like a little bit different. Um, we wanted like uh, – uh, our singer Justin, like that was a f- kind of the first record where he was like taking on 100 percent of the vocal roles, and like we were gonna just do something like fun. We wanted to make it like enjoyable, or else there was no reason to do it. We realized there was no money in it anyway, right. so like at least have fun doing it. So we did that record, um, and you know, it's a record I was very happy with, and we had fun doing it, and we did a few tours off of it and like we didn't become like the biggest band ever. So obviously we had to like break up at some point. So, so yeah, like, you know, we did that tour cycle and, and after that we were like, okay, I think it's, it's a good time to like close the chapter on that and kind of move on to the next thing in our lives. Okay. And then how did, so you ended up uh, working for Imperial Artist Management? So, yeah. So after touring, like all I had known was like, I liked, business i like got a business degree uh and i when i was in here at fake i was booking a lot of tours and we uh, there's a lot most of the time we didn't have a manager so like that was kind of the role i was playing in the band and so i was like okay i know you know i know about the music industry i've been out there like i want to like kind of work in it so like i would like book some tours for like smaller bands or like just like do what i could to help out like you know, some local bands who need like management advice or needed to like book a small tour run I would do that, and then eventually um, I talked to um, Jason up at Imperial, and he was he was in Richmond, and I was living in Durham at the time. Okay. He was like, you know, like, we need some help up here. Why don't you come up here? And, like, we'll kind of, like, it would be, like, my first, like, job at a real, like, um, agency or whatever. So, And I'm sorry, did you meet him through your experiences booking bands and being well, in the I, I knew in of the him. Or? I knew of him from the industry. He was, he had a couple venues that he booked at in Northern Virginia. Okay. So I knew of him from there. And so, like, I just, I just knew the agency. So I, I was kind of, like, hitting up a lot of people, like, trying to find something, like, what am I going to do for a career? Like, right. this is what I know, and this is, like, the stuff I care about. So... Um, I worked up, you know, I would travel from Durham up to there um, and kind of like work at their office and like kind of figure it out. And then think um, after, you know, a little while they decided they were going to move to L.A., you know, asked me to come. But there wasn't there was like it's kind of weird. There wasn't like uh, a definite, yeah, definite like one is like a long move. My wife had like a great job in in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really want, like, I didn't know if it was fair to, like, move her. And I was still, like, really kind of new at it. Um, so I decided, um, we decided to, like, move to Charlotte. And I got into, like, weirdly, I just got into, like, CAD design and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked uh, a little bit doing that. And then one day I was like, I'm not happy, like, doing this. Like, I'm not really making, like, a decent amount of money. So 
I was like, what do I want to do? I care about like, obviously I care about music, but I'm not going to like, doesn't seem to be like working out mon monetarily. So I like, uh, like I'm into science. I'm into like technology. I'm into like, I'm like, I'm, I'm a nerd. So like, what do I want to do? And I like made a list of like companies in Charlotte that like I wanted to work for. And I sent them all resumes and called them and eventually like got an interview. Um, so they were looking for like a junior project manager somewhere. And I was like, I think I can do that. Like understand like, technology and design and stuff like that uh, i think i can learn this and so like i like just started like day one not knowing anything and like doing it trial by fire yeah and so like it was like i was like so scared that first day. i was like i really don't know what, <laughs> what i'm doing and just kind of like figuring it out and then like i, I really liked it like i it, like harmonized very well like I, I felt like i was like really like this is something i was good at and i enjoyed doing um so did that for a uh, couple years and then moved to um, company I'm with now. All right. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna end on a. We're, this is gonna be like a, a um a repetitive. What's the word I'm looking for? We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it for every guest, but it's it's the final five questions. It's like a lightning round. Yeah, but they'll be it'll be the same questions. Although they'll probably evolve because I'd want to put a little bit more thought into them. But so your final five questions okay. are um <laughs> what what's and let's put it in the context of I know you didn't never made much money doing what you in the band. What was what would you consider your most extravagant purchase? Oh man. Um probably doing it right now. I'm uh so I have a, a couple of custom guitars made. Nice. That um were a few thousand dollars. So it's probably the most extravagant purchase. Um I believe uh I think um, for like one publishing advance, we each got like a few thousand dollars to like spend, and so like I was like, I buy a guitar. Um, <laughs> so I've done that. Bought equipment. It's probably the most extravagant thing I've right. ever bought with band funds, specifically. Right. Um, Besides a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we had a vegetarian, so we ate Taco Bell a lot. That was like the vegetarian like go to. <laughs> um. Okay. Number two is uh, here's a million dollars. Which charity would you give it to? You get only one. You can't split oh, it. Man. Um, okay. Don't Let's see where your heart is. So Let's see what you're made of. Charity, what would do the most good? Mm. Uh Humane Society, obviously. It's great. Um Man, I wish I knew more charities off the top of my head. <laughs> do you have a pet? Do I have a pet? Yes, I got two. Well Okay, so I got two dogs and I got five chickens. Um <laughs> <laughs> so I have that. Um but yeah, I uh, always love nature and stuff like that. So um, uh, maybe something towards that. Okay. That end. Um, in baseball, they have walk-up music to the plate, you know, when you're walking up and yeah. they play a song. What What would your walk-up music be to the pearly gates? To the pearly gates. So funny, I did, when I played high school baseball and I did have a walk-up song. It was like some Rufio, like, like everybody was playing like all these like country songs and everything. And I had like this like little like, like fast pop punk song come on in between. <laughs> Um, if I had a song to walk up to, oh man, probably, um, probably something fun. So I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Katy Perry. This is how you do. Nice. Cause, um, I think that's how you do. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you do, you know, when you're meeting St. Peter. Yeah. Really it's nice. I, I think you want to have fun. I mean, if, if you die and they're having to be a heaven like it's got to be like the happiest thing in the world so like might as well party good answer good answer from uh, a metalcore <laughs> dude 
Um, question four is, uh, what song is stuck on repeat in hell? In hell, what song is stuck on repeat? Oh, man. Um, so <laughs> It's like the B-side to Katy Perry's uh, This Is What You Do. <laughs> yeah, probably like the new record she released. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's uh, probably like all that, so much that, like cheesy pop punk that came out of like the uh, late 90s. So I was like Blink-182 copies. Um, maybe Good Charlotte or something. Uh, there's a song right now that me and my wife are like trying to figure out. Uh, we went to New York and visited friends and there's a song where this girl goes, ah, like in the middle of it. <laughs> And, like, I couldn't figure out who sung it, but it always came up in, like, playlists. And, like, um, so maybe that. And then I'll, I'll give a third one is uh, we made our, our trip song, uh, mm -hmm. Evanescence, Bring Me to Life. Nice. Yeah. Um, and it got real annoying by the end. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, that's not a bad song. Somebody brought that up. It's super uh, catchy. And it's, like, that's part of why it's so annoying. I just They just brought that up in another podcast. Um <laughs> Last and final question is, uh, if you sold your soul for rock and roll, how much? How much? Uh, like my money or how, how much? How much How much does your soul cost? <laughs> oh, man. If I, could, if I could sell my soul and... What's it cost to buy you, I guess, is the like question. If, <laughs> if I could make like a salary, like, I, like just make a normal sal salary like I do now and like have a house and like make music as my living like just for that i think it'd be the coolest job in the world like if you could say like my art or my music like i can live off that like a normal human being um that would that may tip me right there okay well uh eric morgan thank you for doing this i appreciate it um i think it went well, well thank you i'm honored to be uh the first guest of you know hopefully many many the inaugural podcast of uh, hopefully Rockonomics, if we get the name. <laughs> so uh, thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Rockonomics podcast number one is in the can. We'd like to thank Eric Morgan for coming in and talking with us. Uh, we're setting up uh, an email, so come and uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. You can reach us at dill at rockonomicspodcast.com. That's D-I-L-L at rockonomicspodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Give us any suggestions. We're all ears. We'll be right back.